Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Over the past few weeks, we've been continuing to look at how following Pentecost, the early disciples preached the good news of Jesus. And we saw that they preached it boldly. And as a result of that, the early church in Jerusalem began to grow. And it began to grow quite quickly. In Acts 2, we have seen how on the day of Pentecost alone, 3,000 were added to the church. And it then goes on to say, and more were being added daily. Last week we looked at a time when Peter and John healed a man who'd been lame for 40 years or more. Now, with all this going on, not surprisingly, not everyone was totally happy. And uh, that's what we're going to pick up on as we start looking at what Luke records in chapter 4. So it's Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. 
everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his holy one. Sorry, his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This passage shows us the difference that the power of the Spirit made on the early church. Do you remember, we looked back in the autumn at the Lord's Prayer. And one of the sections, Thy Kingdom Come, we compared history to a five-act play. Well, today we've got another five-act play because this passage breaks down into five elements. The first one is the opposition that the disciples encounter. The second one is Peter's address. Then we see how his opponents react. Then we get the church's response and then we get a nice little bit that rounds it all off. So Act 1, the opposition. It says in Acts 4.1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. I don't know whether you remember, but they'd been walking on their way to the temple, Peter and John. They'd seen this man sat outside the gate called Beautiful. 
He'd been crippled since birth, and we now find that he was over 40. Okay, so he was getting on a bit. And uh, he was just a broken wreck of a man. He had no way of earning a living. And so he sat and he begged. And what did they do? They gave him the one thing they could give him. They gave him healing in the name of Jesus. And of course people were astonished and a crowd gathered and Peter, true to form, preached. Because what we find out about Peter is whenever he had a crowd, he preached. And now we see the reaction of the establishment to what was going on. It's the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees who were upset. Now we shouldn't be surprised at this. Because when Jesus was on earth, he warned his disciples. In John 16, verse 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now notice he doesn't say, in this world you might have trouble. He says, you will have trouble. If we are following Jesus and preaching his gospel, we will find opposition. We will have trouble. But to explain the order of things here, in the temple you had the priests. And they were responsible for all the religious activity that went on there. The prayers, the offerings and the sacrifices. And then you had the temple guard. They were really the door supervisors of that era. They were responsible for the maintenance of order in and around the temple. And then there was the Sadducees. And they were a bit like the councillors of the day. They were part of the ruling class of Israel. They were a bit wealthier than a lot of the others. And... At that time, politically, they were very keen to keep in with the Roman authorities. Their view was very much that if they didn't cause too much trouble, the Romans didn't interfere with their lives too much. And that was what they wanted. They wanted to get on with their religious observance without the Romans getting involved. And in fact, there was another benefit. If they didn't cause too much trouble... The Romans let them have self-governance. So what did they see? They saw Peter preaching. And they'd have been worried that it was going to upset the status quo. And in particular what upset them was the Sadducees, unlike the Pharisees, didn't believe in an afterlife. And here was Peter talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. In fact, he preached in, in chapter 3, verse 15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. So on top of all the upset of the status quo, he was offending them theologically. And that's why we see that reference in verse 2, where it says they were really quite upset about this. And then there's another undercurrent. We've read that the people were meeting and proclaiming Jesus in the temple daily. 
There's a danger there. If that was to get out of hand, the Romans might see this new little group of troublemakers as a start of an insurgence. And it would give them every excuse to stamp down on all the activities of the Jews. The status quo was going to be overturned. And so these people had every reason to be greatly disturbed. <clears throat> and that's what it says. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So what did they do? They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, and too late to do anything, they put them in jail until the next day. They used a common weapon, one that is often used in situations today. They wanted to silence the troublemakers, and the easiest way to do that is take the ringleaders and put them in prison. And this was going to be the first of a number of times that the apostles would find them in prison. But Luke points out that even when the authorities think they have the upper hand for a moment, God is actually working behind the scenes and taking the advantage. Because it goes on and says, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. It was only a week or so before, we're talking about them having grown to 3,000 in total. Now we're talking about 5,000 men. And the next day, the Sanhedrin gathered. <coughs> and they really could only find one question to ask. So they asked it, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, we mustn't miss the irony in this question. These are supposedly the leaders of God's people. Yet they have to ask this question, by what power or what name did you do this? Because they had no idea what God was doing amongst them. Yet they were the leaders of God's people. So here is Peter hauled up in front of the court. And just like any of us probably would have done, he timidly pleads his defence. Well, perhaps not. No, in fact he boldly declares the truth in a highly accusational way. He timidly says, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple... And if we're asked how he's going to be healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel. He timidly brought his defence to them. And then he goes on and he preaches a three-point sermon. And the three points are, Jesus is responsible for the healing. You'll find that in verse 10. This lame man didn't heal himself. Jesus did it. The second point was, Jesus has been raised from the dead, he is alive, and he sits in a place of authority. And the third one, Jesus is the only way to find salvation. In essence, there is one way to God, Jesus is that way, and to reject Jesus is to reject God. 
Verse 12 there makes it absolutely clear that even in these early days, the disciples fully understood the uniqueness of Christ. Because it says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. What a verse. There is no name other than the name of Jesus that brings salvation. So Peter and John had been in prison overnight, but in the power of the Spirit, they face their accusers and make bold proclamations. And then we get on to the third act. Their opponents react. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were astonished. These men had been in prison overnight, yet they weren't coming out like sheep, timid. They were coming out like wolves. They were ready for the kill. And Peter had gone for it. It carries on and says, but since they could see the men who had been healed, sorry, the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They were speechless. So, like all good religious men, when unsure of what to do, they formed a committee. And the result was they tried to apply a gagging order to keep them quiet. That's all they could do, because Peter and John hadn't broken any laws. So they told them to go outside while they conferred together, and then they said, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. So we're going to try and keep them quiet. So it says in verse 18, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now that's a common way for opponents of the truth to try and deal with it. They demand silence because it makes the truth that is so uncomfortable to hear go away. Now, we get that today. We get it in all shapes and forms. We get people who just don't want to hear your side of things. But we also get this thing called political correctness. And we have to ask ourselves the extent to which we're prepared to comply with it. Peter and John had an answer. They said, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. What else could they do? They let them go. They had done nothing wrong. And in fact, if they had tried to punish them, there was every danger the crowd could have turned against them. Because the crowd saw what had happened for what it was. They saw it as an act of healing by God. It's really sad 
The people could see the truth, but their leaders couldn't. And we again, we get another sense of irony, because they ask the Sanhedrin, well, should we obey you, or should we obey God? That's probably the first time the Sanhedrin had ever had to get their heads around that, because in their minds, to obey the Sanhedrin was to obey God. But here they get challenged. And then we get on to the fourth act, the church's response. Peter and John go back and they report everything that's happened to the church. And we see their response. It says, verse 24, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They reminded themselves that God is sovereign. He is the author of everything. Nothing happens outside of his control. They go on in verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and his anointed one. That's a quote from Psalm 2. They remind themselves of scripture and in fact it's scripture that teaches that there will always be some who seek to oppose the ways of God. And they apply that to their current situation. They go on and they say, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. They recognise God's hand in it because they, they also say they did what your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. And then they bring their petition. And what a petition. Now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. What it shows is they understood the hostility they were facing. But because of what they knew about the character of God and the evidence that there was in the scriptures, no matter how bad things might look, they believed that nothing happened outside of God's attention. And so the threats spurred them on. And rather than saying, give us an easy life, they were asking for more signs and wonders and more opportunities to speak out boldly, even though they knew that they would face opposition. God is sovereign. He is in control. Through our prayers, he will work. He will bless his people. And then we get the conclusion in verse 31. And it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting 
was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They'd finished praying. And just as seems to have typified meetings of this early group at other times, they were again filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God amongst them was so tangible, it says, the place shook. And they continued to preach the word of God boldly. If you want to find out more about what happens, you can skip a few verses and read chapter 5. Start at verse 17. And you'll find out about the next time they're out preaching. Read through to about verse 41. Alright, that's chapter 5, verses 17 to 41 or thereabouts. And you'll find out what happened next time. They preached, they got put in jail, and an angel came and set them free. But to bring this down to earth... We need to recognise hostility comes in many forms and from many sources. Remember that promise of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We've been warned. Expect trouble. When you come to salvation, as well as making a friend, you make an enemy. And we should expect trouble but this passage leaves me with some questions are we bold in our proclamation do we let hostility put us off are we afraid to give our views to the world about abortion about divorce about living together Have we been silenced? Have you been told, you can't say that? That's not very politically correct. Do we live in fear of offending others? Would we rather be like the Sadducees or the disciples? When God does something amongst us, Do we want to keep the status quo or do we want to embrace what God is doing? Some years back, round about 1994-1995, God started doing some strange things in the church. It was colloquially called the Toronto Blessing. But the Spirit started coming on people with such power that all sorts of unusual manifestations broke out. Just like that passage in in Chronicles where it talks about the priests in the temple. Some people were thrown to the floor and lay there for hours. Others ran, groaned, seemed to give birth. All sorts of things happened. 
And there was a variety of reactions to it. But something happened, and that was wherever people went who'd experienced this, it seemed to break out. Fits of laughter and giggles. The joy of the Lord. There were a number of reactions. Some people instantly dismissed it as not being of God. Others embraced it. Some said, we'll just hang on a moment, we'll look at the fruit and then make up our minds. But the question is, if God did something amongst us today which was unusual and unprecedented, would you hang for the status quo or would you embrace what God is doing? What choices will you make? Will you choose boldness or safety? Will you speak God's word or remain silent? Will you be fearless or full of fear? Will you embrace God or will you reject him? How will you handle his hostility when it comes? Will you pray, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.